This is City AM Unregulated. I'm Zach Meir. And I'm Emma Hazlitt. On this week's show... Catherine Round, director of the documentary The Divide. What we're saying is big players like Walmart drove small businesses out of town. They can do all the things that big multinational corporations can. They have a lot of power. Natalie Campbell, social entrepreneur and founder of A Very Good Company. Fully, wholeheartedly backed Martin Sorrell when he said he's earned every single penny of his 70 million because he's built a company from scratch. And political pundit David Cracknell. I mean, this was the biggest financial crisis, they tell us, since the 30s. How can generations forget that? Welcome to City AM Unregulated. Okay, we're off to the movies this week, and uh, the subject is the divide, uh, which is a, refers to the divide in society on wealth grounds. Joining us now are Catherine Round, director of the Divide, and social entrepreneur Natalie Campbell, as well as David Cracknell, a political pundit. The Divide is the documentary that aims to show the gap between rich and poor. Let's get a feel. My name is Janet Sparks, and I am a Walmart associate at store number eleven o two. When I think about the fact that our CEO, Mike Duke, made over $20 million last year, more than 1,000 times the average Walmart associate, with all due respect, I have to say, I don't think that's right. Janet is one of the seven individuals The Divide follows, and we're joined by Catherine Round, the director. So tell us about your documentary. Why now? Well, I mean, inequality is actually at its highest point um, in the US and the UK since 1928. Um, I came came to be making this film because um, about four or five years ago, a book called Spirit Level um, was published, and and the book actually looked at the relationship between widening levels of of income inequality and various different social outcomes. And in some ways, my aim with the film, because, you know, it's not something that we haven't spoken about a fair bit, you know, whether rising income inequality is a bad thing. Um, But there's a lot of statistics thrown around. There's a lot of kind of political rhetoric that goes on around it. You know, people get very tribal about it. And what I almost wanted to do with the film was kind of look at, take it right back down to the sort of very human level. You know, the book is looking at quite basic fundamental things about how our behaviour are affected, how the way that we think is affected by, you know, the changing landscape of the world that we live in. Um, And I wanted to really see how, you know, people at sort of quite critical positions in the economy had been affected by some of these big changes that have happened over the last 35 years and how we could sort of start to draw the relationships between those economic changes and the social changes that we see around us. But how do you know that um, the, the causes of the, or the, the massive divide in, in, in earnings or wealth are actually anything to do with the breakup of communities, uh, the type of society we're in now as compared to 30 or 40 years ago? It may just be uh, modern technology or it may be the breakup of the family, which is nothing to do with wealth, but actually to do with social, uh, you know, the women's empowerment or more migration that, that, you know, you may be linking, you may not be linking uh, factors which are actually related. Well, the film is in fact, in fact, posing that very question. The point that I'm trying to draw is whether rising in- income inequality is a significant contribution to that. So through our characters, we start to perhaps 
this is not a scientific, you know, this is not intended as a, as a scientific research paper by any means. It's intended as a film that poses a question as to how you can see that a big scale abstract economic trend could actually influence someone on a very psychological level and could start to lead to those behaviours that we do see more of. Because I, th- I think if you, I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of figures out at the moment saying that equality, inequality, in fact, mm-hmm. is actually falling. Um, so I'm surprised that you're saying that. You know, if you look at the, the Forbes billionaires list to, mm-hmm. to go at the very top end of the scale, billionaires are actually getting poorer. Not a lot poorer, to be fair. But they are actually losing some of their wealth. I don't know where those figures are from either, but I mean, certainly the figures that we were using were from incredibly reputable sources. Um, I mean, I'd actually, I'd like to be able to find those figures yes, so I can tell you where it's come what from. What I was going to ask you, isn't it easier to actually look at your motivations for the film, which seemed to be that you came up, you had an idea, mm. which is basically uh, extreme uh, wealth differences cause social problems, they hurt people. Uh, it's it's uh, it's basically a disaster, and the reason you know the bad things about society are caused by this. Mm. So you had a foregone conclusion, and you just spent you know ninety minutes trying to prove it. No, absolutely not. You know, I'm fairly sceptical about things. You know, I don't sort of I didn't want to make a film that was just a kind of polemic that was going to just say, oh, everything's dreadful. I'm just going to trot out lots of opinions about that. I wanted to really dig into it and I wanted to actually show and, and actually spend lots of time with people to find out whether these things were happening on the ground. Off the back of that, um, the theme that stuck with me about the documentary was the question, is greed good? Does capitalism need it to survive? Let's hear a little more from The Divide. This clip starts with psychologist Paul Piff. We've been finding that wealthier individuals are more likely to perceive the pursuit of self-interest as opposed to collective interest as being moral and favorable. We're even observing this moralization of greed, this greed is good mentality. This culture absolutely selects for psychopathic thinkers, you know, people who literally have no empathy whatsoever. Because once you have successfully cleaved off ethical considerations, you're incredibly efficient. I think there's nothing wrong with aspiring to be comfortable. I don't even know that there's anything wrong with aspiring to be rich. But the aspiration of Wall Street is to have fuck you money. And, and fuck you money is the amount of money so vast that you could pick up the phone or say fuck you to whoever you wanted without repercussion. Uh, so we also heard Cathy O'Neill, the former Wall Street analyst, quite fierce criticisms there. Seems to chime very well with the, the debate over executive pay that's going on at the moment. David Cracknell, have you any thoughts? Well, I think uh, that clip was interesting because um, how do you explain um, Bill Gates and uh, the Facebook guy giving away all their wealth? Um, aren't we... I mean, all that stuff seemed to me, with respect, a little bit 80s. I mean, and I... You know, grew up in the 80s and Wall Street, the film and all that. Um, it seems to be now that, um, you know, these, these real billionaires, these super billionaires seem to be uh, wanting more than just uh, making money. They want to either give it away or leave some kind of legacy. And uh, whatever their psychological profile, um, and you can blame them for sort of attack them for sort of having massive egos to sort of want to try and save the world. But isn't that where we are now, post kind of Michael Douglas But and that's just happened maybe in the last, the philanthropy phenomenon is actually only in the last couple of years. I think it's actually quite, it's quite a new one and hopefully that gives, that gives us some sort of light at the end of the tunnel as far as this horrible divide that we're in. I mean, I, I, you know, it, it's very difficult not to get drawn into the, the film, the characters, um, you know they're compelling. You want to, you want, you listen. I'd rather listen to the, 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 you know, the, the, 
KFC people, the McDonald's people, than uh, Professor Alan Budd. You know, uh, you know that is that that was one of the messages of the film. They they are you know you want to know them, you want to see where they are now, and you know email them and everything else. So it, on a human level, uh, you know, a wonderful experience. In fact, I in a way I didn't need to to hear um, the 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 other agenda because I think the people. You know I the new, the new, so the news clips and the and the experts. I didn't need to hear. It was actually the people on the ground who were well, the most, the most, the best people to listen to. The, the film is essentially those seven stories. Into I mean, the news clips are there just to give a reference point so that we understand why they're all linked together. I mean, you know, it does. It's an incredibly fast, you know, sort of whizzing through the economic history mm. of the last thirty-five years. It's not intended intended to be exhaustive. But, you know, the film is a psychological exploration of how the big economic landscape can affect the, people. The other thing, because you had the clips from 79, and in fact, if, you know, the, the 70s were a disaster for mm -hmm. capitalism, that was actually, if we, you know, that was like the end of the Jurassic. We had to do something, Reagan and Thatcher had to do something to save the Western world, otherwise we would have fallen to, to communism. And, you know, this was the best they did, this yeah. divided uh, society. And this is, in a way, why Alan Budd, um, who, who does feature in the film, you know, is, is a very important person to, to be referenced because he does make the point that you know he felt as someone who was very, very much influenced economic policy at that time that this was the best solution to get economies working better and this was going to be the way that we were going to improve the quality of life for the vast majority of people um now whether now i don't want to ruin you know the, the film but you know how how that panned out and how he feels about that now um i think is quite interesting it's quite quite a lot of food for thought really about whether the, that great sort of neoliberal um, free market sort of experiment did bear out what the people who um, who designed it, the architects of it, intended and whether there is a question to be answered about how we move forward from that and how we can make it work better. There, there Natalie, is no... Your, your, uh, your philanthropy is very close to your heart. Do you, do you think there is a move from the super rich towards giving? I wouldn't say it's a move from the super rich towards giving. I, I think anyone who thinks that we won't always have super rich people that are self-interested and want to buy even bigger yachts and even bigger houses is, is misguided. But what I would say is there's a movement of people, call them social entrepreneurs, call them philanthropists, call them what you want, but that believe that the only way we can have a society that benefits everyone in, in different ways but benefits everyone is for those that have to give back and support um, ecosystems and societies. I think it's not just about individuals. There's also a movement around large companies deciding that they want to change the way they do, do business and invest in the communities that they operate and work in. I think the millennial generation, everyone talks about millennials, but there's also a generation of young people that won't stand for anything else. They won't stand to work for companies that don't give back. They won't some of them even shunning the job market and deciding they want to set up their own companies and their own businesses where what they do is creating a better environment and society for others. But they also make money because they understand, especially if you're in London or a global city, you have to pay your bills. So I think there's a movement and there's a shift and things are changing. And I think that's a consequence of where we have been. And I, I, I take issue with your point around, you know, the billionaires deciding they're setting up foundations. There are hundreds of billionaires I think when there are thousands of billionaires and they're billionaires that we don't even know exist because they don't make the Forbes list that don't give back so actually we could probably name 20 in here but uh, but if we think about everyone else what are they doing they're, uh, they're taking a lot I think, and I think that's, that's a good point challenge. I think that we are I do feel as a slightly older person that we are you know thankfully moving into a different era though all the things you say are right younger people won't stand for 
this uh, not having transparency and you know with Panama Papers WikiLeaks you know these days there's no place to hide really there's very few little places even if it is a tiny little island there are there isn't that much place to hide with the internet and everything so we're going to get to a stage where you know whatever you make is going to be public or leaked and and you're right most most big multinationals now I mean they're well of you know 20 years into their CSR programs and and so on and so forth it's an interesting question I don't know how you know we can do better but there isn't really a, many governments out there who it, don't think about these issues all the time about how they can create I think equality of opportunity mm. opportunity is the key, key issue isn't it surely that, and that's the point that I think I was going to raise um I think if if we focus on opportunity and opportunity for everyone, then if people don't take up that opportunity or people don't become entrepreneurs or or or, or don't then become financially independent, I think we have a different conversation at the moment. It feels like you can't, and the opportunity is not there, and that's the shift that needs to be made. But Natalie, I mean, isn't isn't the message from what you're doing and also from the film uh, that the the big take really is that the age of the employee for life is dead, and you don't really want to be an employee. You want to be somebody. You set up your own business, even if it's just uh, making uh, origami shapes at the side of the road, and you build it up from there. And you've got much ch- a better chance of creating a unicorn doing that, working for yourself. Um, than than working for Walmart for thirty or forty years, where there's no upside and there's there's possibly only downside. The store Janet, who works for Walmart in the film, actually used to run her own small business, and and it was driven out of town so by my, the arrival. My, of, my heart was broken, but I, I, I could just I could just sort of feel that every day they had less and less uh, business coming in. So but Janet, it, Janet ran a video store. I mean, there there are no more video stores, so it wasn't just Wall Street driving her out. Uh, no, Walmart, we're not so saying Wall Street did drive Walmart. her out. At all in the film. Um, what we're saying is big players like Walmart drove small businesses out of town. They could undercut, they've got bigger market share, they can do all the things that big multinational corporations can. They have a lot of power. Her only option, as someone who works in a small town um, in the southern states of America, was to go and work for the person that put her out of business. And as a result, she has very little opportunity, you know, she has very little power. She has to do what she's told. She can only, act, you know, she can't, she can't really say, I'm going to go and take my work, my labour elsewhere where because Walmart have basically got a monopoly over that situation. It's that kind of huge concentrations of power that have been enabled over the last 35 well, years that are a problem. Um, Walmart will be put out of business by Amazon, so it'll be a dog-eat-dog Well, exactly. And this is, you know, these, these things are evolving all the time. And, you know, it's very, very possible that Walmart may end up, you know, suffering as a result of new things that are coming through. But it does raise a big question when we're looking at how we want people to be able to you know, work off their own initiative and have that opportunity. Yeah, but but if they're working in a, in a situation where the power, you know, all the power is in the hands of a very few number of individuals and businesses, how likely is it that people are going to be able to do that? But, I mean, it's just the technology changed and she she should have had an online video streaming uh, website. You know, it, it's... things all, are go, all go really niche. I mean, mm. this, yes. is, this is a problem with technology. It's always been, you know, it's going to cause these kind of... Uh, you know social anxieties i mean look i mean i'm not look at the farmers you know in in say the uk and how they're told what to do by you know the big name uh, supermarkets you know they've got real no known choice and their margins mm. getting uh smaller all the time um you know it, we, i i absolutely agree that you've got to find some sort of way as a government that's why one role for a government to sort of allow more of an equal playing field mm. for 
small people who want to run a business in, in small towns. I lament, like everyone else, the fact that a lot of towns in, in the UK high streets look the same now. It's there depressing. A, There's no small box shops. There was a lot you know, of, everyone gets it from Amazon. But I'm guilty myself. Well, we all have completism in that. I felt like there were some people who just were, you know, they were taking a really defeatist ap- mm. attitude. The guy in Glasgow, he, he, you know, it didn't feel like he was trying to help himself. It just felt like he was kind of complaining. Well, I was born in Glasgow. I can see why he had a negative attitude. But uh, well, actually, Darren is Darren is actually one of the very very cities in the world now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, since I left, yes. yeah. Exactly. His um, contribution to the film was to talk about how growing up in extreme poverty can affect you psychologically and affect your self-esteem and lead to negative behaviours. But well, it also can lead people to be billionaires. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think um, just on on that point. The entrepreneur's blessing is that we have high um, levels of agency and self-efficacy. And the difference between the entrepreneurs and the person that would have turned that video store into a bookshop slash coffee shop slash community centre is the entrepreneurial agency and the, the a less of a victimhood mentality. And I think where I don't subscribe to conversations around um, inequality is when people take a... Uh, defeatist or what I call sort of have a position of sort of poverty of aspiration mm. power is only given to people if you choose to give it to them and I, I, I think that is I, I haven't seen the, the film yet but from the clips that I've heard that may be absolutely not absolutely not everyone in this film is absolutely striving for a, to improve their lives Janet as we saw in the clip earlier actually a woman who has suffered from extreme anxiety as a result of losing everything in her life had the courage to actually speak up at the annual Walmart shareholder conference and actually sort of start to take some agency back about how she can improve the running of that company. That's not a woman that doesn't have agency. That's a woman that really wants to improve it for everybody that works in that company. I think it'll be interesting to see how these people progress over the next five years if there's a divide two or three and you know you see uh, the, how that pans out over Absolutely. the over that I know period. they'd love that. <laughs> um, let's hear from Ale- Alexei Goldstein from Deutsche Bank and Sir Alan Budd, economic advisor to the UK. I didn't realise that that was going to happen and maybe others always knew perfectly well that this would be the result of it. But I think that that is unfortunate and I I regret it. I think, you know, you sort of always have it maybe in the back of your mind that you know you're not part of something good. But I didn't have a clear sense of I am doing something actively harmful. And then when the financial crisis hit, I started to feel really uncomfortable and I asked my boss, will the public ever forgive us for this? And meaning the bailout. And he basically (laughs) said to me, Well, here's the thing. The public always forgets. The public forgot after the savings and loan crisis. The public forgot after long-term capital management blew up. The public always forgets. And the public will forget again. And we will, you know, move on. And it'll go back to normal. So don't worry about it. Unfortunately, I think we're all sheep, but uh, are the public going to forget this time? Banker bashing has been rife ever since the crash in 2008. I think it's very appropriate considering the debate that's going on at the moment over executive pay. I mean, you know, even shareholders are pretty upset at the moment. Well, we hope the public doesn't forget. I mean, the film isn't trying to sort of necessarily point uh, a finger at, in- at individuals in terms of... Because all of us are slightly complicit in how we allow the system to perpetuate and how we kind of respond to things that happen around us. And it is true um, what Alexis Goldstein says, that all these things have happened. And of course, there's an outrage. And then, you know, it kind of goes back to them. There's another outrage. And it's whether, you know, we are capable of joining the dots up enough to sort of actually sort of 
ask ourselves these really big fundamental questions that go beyond an individual scandal, but actually look at whether systemically, you know, it has become corrupted to a degree that we need to we need to look at that. I, I think just going back to the the kind of forgetting piece, I think individuals don't necessarily forget. Mm. So you can still speak to someone now who talks about you know, poll tax and, and Thatcher, but popular mm. consensus forgets. Absolutely. And I think people have the ability and people in power have the ability to change how events in history are perceived over time, which means we have got back to a position where bankers are getting bonuses. Yes, that we're having, we're in uproar around um, people hiding money and we're in uproar around wealth more generally, but actually we've forgotten the pain and we've forgotten the fact that there was a bailout and I think that's the danger. David I mean you're you're the political person around here um, isn't there a them and us mentality the assumed superiority of our rulers our betters the people who are richer than us and they can do things and they can, are allowed to get away with things like the Panama Papers and having uh, you know tax-free here uh, stuff here and there and for us we you know we pay our taxes to HMRC and we're sort of very you know very meek and uh, that's okay. I think so. And I think um, uh, politicians, yes, of course, we know that. Um, plenty of plenty of examples of that over the years and decades. But I think what happened in the financial crisis was the spotlight was shone for probably the first time on these kind of rock star uh, within their industry uh, bosses, Lehman Brothers and Enron and places like that. Fascinating films that you can watch on those as well. I, I uh, recommend them wholeheartedly um, to see how arrogant these people were. Um, do the public ever forget? Um, I don't think they do. I mean, this was the biggest financial crisis, they tell us, since the 30s. You know, I mean, how can you forget? How can generations forget that, really? But no heads are rolled. I mean, I mean yeah. so, uh, all that happened was uh, Sir Fred Goodwin <laughs> was no longer Sir Fred. <laughs> right. that's, that's, that's... But there was this sense that, you know, the world was going to kind of end. That we, You know, our money in, in binary digits and our uh, online bank account was just going to suddenly disappear. And that, you know, we'd all be running. You remember, I... I did uh, some advisory work for Northern Rock after the collapse, I must say. I helped them recover. But, you know, remember those people um, yeah, queuing up uh, at their branches in this sort of uh, yeah, Northern Rock, uh, uh, you know, branches, and, and uh, there was a real sense of panic. Now, I kind of tend to take the view that it's all kind of media spin and hype anyway. As a former political journalist, I'm always slightly sceptical of any media story because... You know, there is a, um, and, 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 you know, uh, respect to uh, our, our journalist from City AM here who would not be like that at all. Absolutely not. <laughs> this is uh, proper journalism w within the financial sector. But, you know, there is a certain sort of way of writing a story, um, a financial story or a political story, which, frankly, you know, hypes it up a bit. And it's a bit sort of black and white. You know, they're the bad guys. These are the good guys. You know, we're the good guys. We're the victims and, and so on and so forth. So when, when I, when it, will it be remembered? It depends because, you know, if it makes the, the next history books, and I expect it will. Isn't it time to stop banker bashing now? No, I can never get enough of it, to be honest. I think they're, you know, they're easy targets, aren't they? And, you know, they're always going to be probably fine anyway. So, you know, so they it's can the CEO bashing it. that we need to do now. I mean, it's like they're getting 20, 30 million pounds a year. Um, how do you justify that? Well, we know how they justify it. They justify it and they say, um, uh, you know, uh, we need the best people. 
But they aren't. The, well, they obviously aren't the best people either. I mean, anybody could do. You sort of get the feeling that anybody could do those jobs. I could be CEO of Record Bankheiser. What's going to happen? I, I think I you probably could. I, I think, think you probably could. But I, I you're not on that track. Well, Natalie, says, Natalie, you know, you're on the short list. Quite happy that yeah, Natalie the, does. The, the last word here. You know, I wouldn't bash CEOs. I fully, wholeheartedly back um, to Martin Sorrell when he said he he's earned every single penny of his seventy million because he's built a company from scratch. It's not easy. If it was, everyone would be doing it. And therefore, if you get a salary to support that. I'm all for it. Seventy million pounds. Yep. Every penny. Every penny. Why not sixty nine 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 five? If you if you put thirty years of your life into building a company, employing thousands of people all over the world, he's not going to be able to spend it. So I mean, don't why be jealous of it? I mean, it's just notional, really. <laughs> you know, after a couple of million, you know, what else do you need? Yeah, but it's, it's unbelievable. You, you can't seventy million pounds. It's unbelievable because we don't have it's like winning the lottery. That money. How much would you give him then? I mean, you're right. He's give grown that five, business him up him himself. Million. Five is enough. Give the rest to uh, pr- help uh, apprenticeships. Yeah. Um, you know, education. I think Get we other should people. teach uh, should entrepreneurship imp- in schools. We do. I do. Yeah, well, we should do more of it. We should make <laughs> should it compulsory. 100,000 more people We should have like it you. on the national curriculum, although apparently that's going now. I've heard last night, so... OK, guys. I think we're going to wrap up now. With thanks to Natalie Campbell, David Crackle and Catherine Round, whose film The Divide is out in cinemas now. On next week's show, the growing world of online gaming. Should you be investing in the esports market? City AM Unregulated is an Audio Boom production.